Um, go home and get a little rest. Enjoy some football and popcorn or whatever it is you do. And then come back for tonight because we're going to be in full swing with Awana and Vespers and then Awana and uh, young adults, middle school. It's going to be a great time. And you saw this, uh, the video that just starting to launch in your mind and heart, our student life camp ministry. Trying to get that going a little earlier this year. And I know it's just after Christmas, but we're already thinking about camp and uh, limited seats on the bus. So we'd love to have you just prayerfully consider that. Uh, if you're our middle schoolers and high schools, it's really a great great opportunity uh, for all of our, our teenagers and kids just longing to kind of seek after the Lord in a very unique time and setting every year. So more of that's going to be coming your way and we really appreciate your responsiveness. One of the things that I have become accustomed to doing um, as each year turns is just going back and rereading kind of like for the first time passages in the Word of God that have have meant a lot to me and to my family and to Tracy over the years. And by the way, I, I don't want to get too far into what we're doing this morning, or at least at this juncture, without let's all just kind of settle on this resolve for the new year and let's make the Word of God the foundation of everything we do. All that we are, God's Word. Could we resolve for that, all of us together? This is life. This is truth. This is healing and power and wisdom here in the Word of God. And uh, we don't want to go too much farther than that and acknowledging that this morning. And so it's a good thing every once in a while to go back and rehearse some of those great passages. And um, through that process is what kind of brought me to this this morning. I was looking at a passage that I love and the Lord has used profoundly at various times in my life. And that's from the book of Proverbs Proverbs chapter 3. I'll invite you to go there if you have um, something to look at to help you follow along in the scriptures this morning. If you have a Bible or um, an iPhone or an iPod or an iPad or an i-anything that'll help you look at the Word of God, we invite you to do that this morning as I read this very familiar passage. This, of course, is a father who's writing to his son And he's wanting to ready him for some of the very certain challenges and even perils of of real life. That's what it is. He's wanting to remind him and to get some things straight in his life so that he's not so vulnerable to some of the things that could literally take him out. Not physically necessarily, but spiritually. Take him out of the game. And he's writing to him passionately and he, he calls him my child. The first part of chapter 3 of Proverbs, never forget the things I have taught you. That's a good first reminder, isn't it, for 2013? God says to you, God says to me, at the very base, at the beginning of this year, (laughs) you know, kind of don't have a brain kind of dismissal of some of the things I've already given to you. Some of the things that I've taught you. Some of the hard lessons you've learned through adversity or trial or just through trusting me in your word. Some of those things, don't, don't send them off. Keep, keep them firm in your mind. Don't forget those things. That's a good reminder. And then store my commands in your heart. By the way, you need to know that if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if he's transformed you by his grace, you are under command. This is not a voluntary prospect for you. You are under orders. 
You no longer belong to yourself to do just whatever it is you desire and feel you can do on the planet. That is no longer your prospect. In fact, you are, have been conscripted by Almighty God through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to obey Him. And that's what this father is saying. Don't veer from at least that. For they will give you these commands in following them a long and satisfying life. Never let loyalty and kindness, that is to say loving kindness, the genuine, real, God-born love, get away from you. Isn't that a good reminder in 2013 for all of us, especially in the body of Christ? Be loving, number one, (laughs) really loving, a love that bears all things, that does not take into account things that have been wronged toward you. That's the love, a love that is patient. Love, number one, be loving. The second thing, be nice, (laughs) kindness. That's good, isn't it? Be loving toward one another. And then just, let's be nice. 2013. Bind those things around your neck. Make them be what mark you as a person, as a family, as a ministry. That is the most loving, gracious, kind place I've ever been. Wouldn't that be great? And I think that's what people say. To God be the glory. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with God and people, and you'll gain a good reputation. And then, here it is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your paths. One translation says, He will make your paths straight. I'm all for straight paths in 2013. For me, for my children, for my family, for you and your children in this ministry, straight paths. That means straight living, right living. Not veering to the right or to the left. (laughs) Despite some of the lure and the temptation and and some of the fascination with other things, God is saying, listen, trust in me. Resist with everything in you the temptation to trust in yourself, to lean on your own kind of understanding, your set of uh, principles, the things that kind of come from your mind. Don't go there. Trust in me. In all your ways, acknowledge me. That is to say, live as like I'm here all the time and really care about your situation. And then here's the promise. Here's what I'll do for you. I'll make your path straight. love that. Um, Hard to believe the PGA Tour has launched their 2013 season. We're not even, what, four days or five, six days into the year. They did it in Hawaii, of course, one of the few places on the planet where you could have a a PGA event um, and not deal with cold and ice. But they did deal with cold and, and almost nearly ice. But nonetheless, it was amazing to me to watch in just some downtime this weekend as Time after time, one person after one person stood on a tee, the wind whipping, the rain against them, their caddy holding a very unfortunate-looking umbrella against the wind, 
the Pacific Ocean off into the distance, and here comes this man, and he whips his body around, lets it loose, and hits this tiny little sphere, and time and time again, the ball, quite miraculously, went right down the middle. fun to watch. You just need to know it's hard to do. Unless like these guys, you paid a very heavy price at the beginning. And rather than going out and playing with your friends or going to the mall or tanking your life away at Xbox, they stood at a tee and hit 800 800 balls a day in the wind, and in the rain, and in the sleet. And eventually, their percentages grew to the point where they can hit the ball pretty much almost every time right down the middle. It doesn't just happen. And this writer is saying to his son, and God is saying to us, I will make your path straight, but it doesn't just happen. But I'll tell you what, it's fun to watch. God gets it right in a man's life, in a young woman's life, in a family's life, when they're walking a straight path because they have resisted with everything in them this strong and alluring temptation to trust in their own senses, in their own understanding, and they have acknowledged God in all of their ways, and they've trusted him in the dark. Now, if we were to rewind the tape on your 2012, we won't, but if we were to do that, I wonder what the prevailing word or sentiment of your life would be. Here are a couple examples. Laughter? (laughs) Was it just the most fun you've ever had? So it was just that laughter would be the word that would come to mind as you reviewed 2012. How about frustration or anxiety? Bewilderment. Listen for your word, by the way. Exhaustion. (laughs) Indifference. Wonder. Amazement. Confusion. Despair. Cold. Hot. Lukewarm. Gladness. Fulfillment. Unfulfilled. Frenzy, calm, peaceful, chaos, determination, gain, loss, pleasure, reverence, free fall, uphill, boredom, ecstasy, the feeling, not the drug, doubt, Resurrection, conversion, healing, glorious, thanksgiving. Did you hear your word? (laughs) This was fun. This is an actual report that was made by a construction worker after an accident on the job. 
He writes that when I got to the building, I found that the high winds from the hurricane had knocked off some bricks from the top of the structure. So I rigged a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and began to release the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was. And before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since I was too far off the ground by then to jump. And halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast, and I received a hard blow to my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched in the jam, jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, allowing some of the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel, so I started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up and received more injuries, this time to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of, pile of spilled bricks, getting painful cuts and some deep bruises. But at this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line. And the barrel came down fast again, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that story. Maybe you had a day like that. Maybe that describes your 2013. Maybe you've had a year like that. Truth is, life's like that. Unexpected thumps and bruises, free fall and things you could never possibly anticipate come into your world. And just like the beginning of 2012, now at the dawn of 2013, you absolutely have no idea whether you'll experience the year of your life or get hit with a ton of bricks. But here's the thing, regardless, you and I, according to the authority of God's word, can make a determination that regardless of what comes our way, what befalls us and what the Lord somehow sovereignly but mysteriously allows, we can either live like he doesn't exist and put our confidence in our own understanding, or we, we can live our lives like he's the only thing that matters and trust in him, no matter what. Now, I'm no prophet, that's for sure, and I'm a marginal preacher at best, but I can give you something you can count on for certain. 2013 will have its share of surprises. Barrels of bricks, maybe even trials. And best we decide now, you and I together, in this, as a body of Christ together, rather than too far out into open waters, that we must trim our sails and fasten our faith to the mainstay of God's faithfulness and his provision long before the winds begin to, to blow. Now, reality tells me we've got we've to face some things head on, some things that challenge that kind of living, the things that keep us from 
developing a life and a pattern and a disciplined consciousness about God that will help us live life straight down the middle. And there are several things. First of all, first of all, listen, we have an overconfidence in ourselves. We do. I mean, we are amazingly resourceful. He must increase, I must decrease. Rather, in our culture, we, we are gods, our children, our family, demigods, and our interests and our insatiable appetites for self and kind of self-confidence um, and affirmation causes us to rely on me rather than on God. We have a, a profound overconfidence in ourselves, and it keeps us from trusting the Lord. We are ever bent on, on trusting in our own resources, leaning on our own understanding. Second, we've bought somehow into the lie that we, we do all that we can, and then God does the rest. <laughs> One of these times, I keep telling the guys that I'm going to preach this sermon series that's been on my heart for a long time, and it's going to be called, The Bible Never Said That. And that's going to be one of them. It might be the lead sermon. The Bible never said that. Listen, you do everything you can do, and then I'll do the rest. It sounds great, doesn't it? It's just profoundly unbiblical. That's leaning on my own understanding. The other one is God can't help someone who can't help himself. That's also in the sermon series. The Bible never said that either. Because here's the truth. God can only help someone who can't help themselves. In fact, he loves to do it. Finally, we, 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 not finally, but third, we turn to others before we ever turn to him for advice or comfort or encouragement or wisdom or assistance, counseling, guidance, whatever it is, but God is begging us to come to him Time and time again, he says in his word, come close to me and I'll come close to you. Cast all your cares on me because I care so deeply about you. And here in this passage, trust in the Lord. Trust in me with all your heart and in all your ways and with all of your needs. Don't pick and choose the things you can handle yourself and the things you want to bring to me. No, all. It's a small little word. It packs a powerful punch. That's everything. It covers it all. Everything. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Finally, sin, distance keeps us from trusting God. Listen, here's what the Bible says. We all need to be reminded of this at the beginning. The brightest, the light is shining bright in 2013, but here's the reality. This is what God says. We love darkness. We love it down there in the shadows where nobody can see. Those patterns of sinfulness, the things we like to harbor, the, the anger, the, the lust, the, the fear, the doubt, the shame, all those things that are so not of the Lord, when they're brought into the light, we can be made free. But we, we need to know that left to ourselves, we're going to stay in the dark, but it keeps us from trusting the Lord. We cannot trust almighty, sovereign, perfect, faithful God if we know the things we're doing are dishonoring to him. So sin will keep us from hitting it down the middle and experiencing his great provision. Now Jonah, God bless him, he got religion quick. <laughs> but not before he'd wrecked an entire ship 
caused a monumental hurricane on the Mediterranean Sea, dishonored the Lord, spent a personal fortune buying passage to go in the absolute opposite direction of where God had wanted him to go, but finally he's at the bottom of the drink and the story finally turns. And now we've got Jonah, seaweed wrapped around his gills, crying out to God for mercy. I want you to know it does not have to take that. But God will allow it if it's what needs to happen to get us to stop this nonsense of leaning on our own understanding. Now, I don't know what's around your bend. I don't know. I wish I did, but I do not. I don't know what your future holds for you or for your family. But listen, you may be in for something so holy and completely outside the boundary of anything you could ever possibly predict or imagine. But there is a way to meet whatever comes, and that is to trust in the Lord. And don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways fall at his mercy and acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Now, I think we need to put a little flesh to this story. And before we get a little bit more personal, let's go to another passage in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Just a little bit to your left if you've got a copy of the scriptures. This is a story of David. Blessed, powerful, gracious talented, resourceful David who finds himself at the end of the rope. David is on his way to the throne. He's not there yet. He's been anointed, of course, but he has not yet once sat on this throne. And here he is now conscripted by the Philistine army to help, and he wants to help. He's such a great servant. He's got such a disciplined heart of servant-hearted ministry and character, and that's what he wants, and he desires that. Um, and so he, he's desiring to come alongside Asius, this great king, and, and fight this battle. Um, <clears throat> but this king is not allowing it. That's, that's 1 Samuel uh, 29, verse 9. Asius insists, as far as I'm concerned, he's talking about David, you're as perfect as an angel of God. Somehow David's stellar character had connected to this pagan king. But my commanders are afraid to have you with them in battle. So get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David headed back to the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. David's understanding was he wanted to go. He, he knew of his abilities. He knew the great strength and training of his army, this, this group of men that he had with his own hand equipped and trained. And so his understanding was, I was gonna, I'm going to come alongside this king. We, we can take these guys. But, but no, this, this king would not allow it. And so he tells David to go back. Go back home. Go back to your encampment, to your, to your wives and your children. And that's where chapter 30 picks up. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their own town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and had burned Ziklag to the ground. Now, I don't know what it would be like for you to come home around the bend on your cul-de-sac, having just gone through a three-day trip and what you witness when you pull onto your neighborhood is your house and all your belongings in a smoldering heap. Everything gone. 
I'll tell you what, that's more than a ton of, gri- a ton of bricks. That's real stuff. And if that isn't bad enough, they'd carried off all the women and children and everyone else, but without killing them. So now their wives are gone, the women are gone, the kids are gone. They burnt their homes, everything they had, and they took their families. Is this close enough to home to you? Because that's what life can do. First thing life can do, it can touch your stuff. And depending on how powerful and meaningful that stuff has become to you, that's going to gauge on how devastating that loss is, but it can touch your stuff. Just ask the people in New Jersey, on the eastern seaboard, the people in Port-au-Prince, the victims of the tsunami. They can touch your stuff. Life can touch your stuff. Life can also touch your soul, touch your family. I'm just telling you, it's reality. David, coming off a great tour, rounds the bend on his place, and that's what he finds. Life's taken his stuff and his soul, his family. They saw the ruins. And when, they, when it finally dawned on them what had happened to their families, they wept. It, they broke down until they couldn't weep no more. His wives, Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail, sweet Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, she's gone. They're all gone. And all of his kids, all of his family, they've been taken hostage. They're captured. They're kidnapped. And David was in serious trouble, the scripture says, because now, not only had he experienced that loss, but the men were very bitter about losing their wives and children. And they began to talk of stoning him. The men who were closest to him at the time, the men he had trained and invested in and poured his whole life in, now they were turning on him. You see? (laughs) David was bright. David was in tune with God. David was a friend of God. He was a man after God's own heart, but there was no possible way he could have predicted this. And neither can you. Neither can I. But it's real. So what do you do? What do you do when you're going up and the barrel of bricks is coming down? Well, you've got a choice, says God. You can lean on your own understanding. Or you can throw yourself at the mercy of Almighty God and trust in Him. Watch what David did. I love this. In the midst of all that, the scripture says David strengthened himself in the Lord. 
David found strength in the Lord his God. David was about to hit it down the middle. And I want you to know that doesn't just happen. That was after years and years of adversity and events and a disciplined life of following after the Lord and training his heart and his mind to seek after him and inquire after him and to search him in his his word and find wisdom and strength and goodness from the Lord. And in the midst of the most horrible of calamities, David, the most resourceful, powerful warrior king that probably ever walked this planet, resists the temptation to lean on his own understanding, and he acknowledges the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord. I love that. Maybe it was Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe it was that. Maybe it was Psalm 46. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I will not fear, though the earth shakes, though the uh, rivers foam, though the mountains quake. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord, the God of Jacob, is with us. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then the scripture says, he took it another step. And only strengthened himself in the Lord. He, he asked God what to do. What a beautiful picture in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 30. He said to Abiathar the priest, he's going to go to worship. Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord. He asked the Lord. It is no more profound than that. Listen, ask the Lord what to do. That's acknowledging him. Ask him. What do I do? I need to know. I don't know what this is. I cannot see around the bend. I don't know how to respond. I don't even know what to do next, Lord. Just resist the urge to do whatever seems right to you and ask him. That's what David did. That's acknowledging the Lord in all his ways. He asked the Lord, am I, should I chase these guys? <laughs> I mean, David knew he, he probably already was wa- looking at his watch going, man, I could already be on those guys' tails. But he said he paused. He waited. He asked the Lord. Can we be a people? Can, we, can I be a father and a husband? Can we be a family? Can we be a ministry that asks the Lord? What do we do? Not just with platitudes and loose change, but with a genuine sense that God cares and he will respond generously when we acknowledge him. God said, go, get him, do it. I love that. So David, obedience, steps out in boldness. He leaves the ruins and he pursues what God said. I love that. He, he, alone, you see, in, in the dark, David can't see, but so he asks God. God turns the light on and says, go. God can see. God can see in the dark. God alone is powerful when all your strength is gone. He alone brings peace when, when what you're feeling is confusion and fear. When it feels like the foundation of your world is starting to shake, God is, God is firm. We, I can't see in the dark. I can't see the future. Neither can you. 
but we live like we can. I cannot see into the deep recesses of my body where cancer or peril may lurk. I cannot, but he can. He can't, I, I, I can't see and know the thoughts and struggles of those closest to me or my family. He can. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where? Is there anywhere I can go from? No, the answer is no. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You made me. The, the, the inner, closest, deepest parts of me you formed by your hand. This is David's confidence. So he, he asked the Lord. That's why it turned out so well. He got everything back and more. Everything. The Lord made his path straight. Listen, people, God's people, you're, you might be weary or fearful, tired, broken, heartless or searching, burdened, exhausted. Or you have a shattered relationship or marriage or you have a a body that is stricken by disease, or you're barren, you're tired, you're an exhausted husband or father or grandfather or friend, you need to hear the word of the Lord today. This is the word of the Lord for you. Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good and what is best? No, for all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison with him. They are but a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales. He picks up the islands as though they had no weight at all. All Lebanon's forests do not contain sufficient fuel to consume a sacrifice large enough to honor Almighty God. All Lebanon's sacrificial animals would not make an offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are as nothing to him. In his eyes, they are less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. Hear the word of the Lord today, God's people. To whom then can we compare God? What image might we find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, and decorated with silver chains? Or is a poor person's wooden idol better? Can God be compared to an idol that must be placed on a stand so it won't fall down? Have you never heard or understood? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. The people below must seem to him like grasshoppers. He is the one who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and their work withers. The wind carries them off like straw. Listen, hear the word of the Lord today. And rise if you hear your name. To him will you compare me? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One of God. Look up to the heavens, who created all the stars, 
He brings them out one after another, calling each by its name. And he counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. How can you say the Lord does not see your trouble? How can you say God refuses to hear your voice? Have you never heard or understood? Do you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. And they will not faint. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But acknowledge him. In all your ways. And he will make your path straight. At first, Lord, I ask you to take sides with me. With David, the psalmist, I circled and underlined, let me stand above my foes. (laughs) But with all my pleading, I lay drenched in darkness until in utter confusion, I cried to you. Don't take sides, Lord. Just take over. make that our prayer. Dads, make make that your prayer for your life. Husbands, fathers, for you first and then your family. Moms, mothers, gals, wives, young men and women, teenagers, make this your prayer. Don't ask the Lord to take your side. Ask him to take over. Everything. He's good. He's good. You can trust him. Let's pray. Lord God, I only know what this means for me and for my house. I do not know what this means for others. But I ask, oh God, that you would be powerful and gracious to the one here today who is struggling to sense your hand, to feel your presence, to trust your lead here. Father God, do whatever it takes to bring us to this place of total surrender. Come what may. 
Let our confidence be in you and in you alone. For the praise and glory of your name.